You know what I mean? We're just like, okay, this is too, nobody's going to believe this ever really happened. But you can see why we can't use them. Yeah. No, I know. Oh, my and he, he God. Oh, oh, God. All right, you want to do this now? Yes. We're doing this? We can do this. That could be for the outtake reel. <laughs> that's one of the best. That might be the best story I've ever heard at Sunset oh, Sound. Of Sunset Sound. This place is magical. Place. <laughs> magical. I mean, come on. It's November 18th. We're here in Studio 2 at Sunset Sound. I'll take my sunglasses off. I'm not trying to be fabulous. The current music industry is just 80s music reinvented. So our two guests today are absolutely perfect to sit down, and we're so thrilled to have them. <laughs> 80s reinvented, isn't it? <laughs> Would you not agree? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> to my right is Steve Lukather, an absolute legend. From teenage session player to forming Toto to five Grammys to now touring the globe with Ringo Starr. Thank you, sir, so much for coming in. And to my far left is one of my favorite people on the whole planet, one of the funniest, nicest people I've ever met, Mr. Paul Nico Bolas, <laughs> recording engineer who's worked at the studio for fifty years. Works with worked with Toto. Oh yeah, no, we have a deep, long history. None that can go on film. Yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot can. We did a lot of great work together. We had a lot of fun. I well, there's that were, too. I knew you when you were a second engineer. <laughs> you knew me when I was an intern. Well, for all you future engineers, Nico Bolas is one of the greatest, most accomplished. Yes, Thank you. And also has spent nearly three decades with Neil Young doing how many records now? I don't even know. Tens, dozens. I liked you in the film, though. I enjoyed the film. Oh, thanks, the man. The film was awesome. Yeah, The Barn. I, I love Neil Young. Me too. I, I think I met him once. I don't really You guys would get along great. I just think the world of, I mean, I love all that stuff, you know. Set up in a barn to play. Yeah, man, what time should I be there? You know I mean? <laughs> That's how I started out. It's just it was my parents' house, not a barn. Yeah. You were in here with them just like last year, weren't you? In yeah. this room, mixing something. Yeah, we mixed a Old couple tapes, things in right? here. Yeah. That's what's so special. Yesterday, David Foster was in here, and he walks in the lobby, and he's like, Sunset Sound. I've made a few records here. Yeah, well, like I said, when I first started out, I was working a lot with David. Yeah, you know, exactly. He, sort of like, he liked me. He would, him and Jay Graydon were into, you know, and Jeff Beccaro and David Page, and all these guys were uh, recommending me for sessions as a young punk ass, you know. Teenager, I, right? Yeah. It was, I was, uh, it started out at 18, 19 is when I started actually doing, when I was working here all the time. And Oh, I remember. You in. and Jeff would yeah. be in here most days if you weren't on on the road. And you just we be, were always doing something, and man. you were cycling between the rooms, yeah. not just one room, yeah. maybe all rooms. <laughs> there, there was a time we had all three rooms going. Yeah, we were doing some uh, panic mix. You know, we have to hurry up. We were infamous for getting the tracks really fast, like one or two <laughs> takes. You know, I mean, and then we'd spend you know half a million dollars seeing how many tracks we could <laughs> fill up, and then how many more we could fill up. Unbelievable. Once they started going to multi, you know, being once they invented slavery, locking the twenty four tracks. Did it, when we mixed Africa, there was like four twenty four tracks in sync. Oh, I know. And you, I know. You had to chase it down. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, you were there. Ladani, yeah. me, you, and Jeff, Dave. You remember the first session you came in here as a teenager? Was this like the first professional recording studio? No, it wasn't studio? the first professional one, but it was. It was when I first started feeling like, wow, I'm getting some calls with the A guys. Yeah. It was a great record. I mean, it was a Corey Wells record with David Anderley and a great engineer who we lost very early, Kent Nevergall. 
Oh, Kent. Yeah. Was, he was so talented. He was. And I remember he had like the best headphone mix and we'd go in and he had it. It was just sounded. And Andrew Lee was, you know, he, he took a shine to me and it was just all working and setting. The music was great and the sessions were a lot of fun. Yeah. Kent was talented, man. It's a shame, you know, he, got, he left us too early. Yeah, he was on the early uh, Peggy. Van Halen stuff. Peggy yeah, talked he, about I him think a lot. He did the demos, I think. I, he did. Uh, he was Don second for a while. Yeah. And he had just, I think Andrew had said, it's okay, now we're moving you up to first engineer. So this is one of the first records he was doing. Yeah. So me and him took a shine to each other because we were the punk-ass kids in the room. And uh, <laughs> he was great. I re- and and yeah. Peggy was the second engineer. Peggy yeah. McCreary. And uh, great times, man. That's incredible. Don and, Landy and, you know, called fa- me fa- about a month ago. Who? Don called me on the phone Don. from an unknown number, and he said, Drew, it's Don Landy. And it I sounds said, like Don, like hiding in a bunker somewhere. Exactly. And I was. <laughs> I haven't seen Don I almost in shit a my long pants. decades long and decades. Time. Last time I saw him was up at Ed's house. You know, he watches back this in the day. and gave me notes on all the episodes, and he's like, you got to get Bruce Botnick in. And also on episode two at a minute 45, that's not correct. I actually Botnick. did remix that. Botnick. I love the way Botnick uh, the sounds in those Doors records and shit like oh, that. Oh, yeah. He's great. He was the guy. That's why they came here, right? Yeah. All those names are people that we worked with. You know, I managed to hang. You know, I used to walk down the halls, man, at one point. I'd be on a session in here or something like track, and somebody go, hey, man, can you, on a break, can you come in and do a solo for us real quick? Yeah. And I'd chuck an amp in there and go, like, you know, lunch break, or I'd just go over and fucking stuff a sandwich and do a solo and make an extra take. God, it's so rad. It was great because there was so much work. Everybody was working, man. It was really a, so much track. I would say, on. like, from 77 <clears throat> to 85 or 88 was huge. That's when I was working all the time. So Every day. Towards the beginning, like mid '90s, I had I had pretty much stopped. Where'd yeah. you live? Just right around Hollywood Hollywood Hills. Nice. Yeah, you've been in the same house. I got the same house. I get were... to keep that one because I bought it before both marriages. <laughs> <laughs> I said that with a pretty straight face, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> truth, truth hurts. <laughs> All right, man. I got to keep one house anyway. <laughs> Wave goodbye to a couple, but you know, hey, man. I, I'm an old guy now. I don't need much, man. I got a nice little crib in the hills, man. That's all I mean. I live near you. Yeah, around the do you corner. you still live there? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, see, we run into each other every yeah, now and then. Someone else is When right I'm there hiking too. up through the hills, when I'm yeah, not. Steve, Steve Perry's up the street. Yeah. yeah. Miley There's Cyrus. a lot of cool people live up there. Uh, Tom Morello, uh, Warren mm-hmm. Martini, the guitar player in Rad. Oh, uh, nice. Miley's got a house down the street. I heard that. I've yeah. never seen her. It's on Amanda. She was in yeah. here just this year for like four months. Oh. Cool. I like her. She's a really talented girl. Nico, when's the first t- session you were at Sunset Sound? Do you remember what it was on? Um, total four. No total shit. Four. Was yeah. that the first, first time, time you were here? First time we I had worked been working here. together. We've been working together, but 70s. we were at we were at record one. <clears throat> Most of the well, sessions I did with you. Sound Factory. Sound Factory. Sound Sound Factory. I started in like '78. Gotcha. I was working there. That's um, where I met you. Then. Yeah. It must have been the Cooch record when he was doing Louise. Was that it? Yeah, Louis yeah, I worked Dolphin? on that. Dennis Kirk was Who the engineer. I, heard from yesterday I was out the, of the assistant. Blue. Really? Looking for a phone number from somebody. Weezy. Wow. She's she's doing great. Yeah, man. she's awesome. We're also. I had dinner with Danny Korchmar. We just finished their record. Immediate uh, yeah, family. No, he said yeah, it was really, really good. It came out really fun. Yeah. It's wild. Anyway, back but to that was that, sound. that was the first time I think um, 
I'm, I, yeah. Was Al brought you in on that? Was that Al working or, or did Al, Al, the Al Tom Knox. In this room. So Al cut the tracks here. Live. Tom yeah. Knox awesome. was Tom engineering no, here. Up, man. First day, uh, Paige had Rosanna. He goes, I got this tune. That was the first song you cut? We never rehearsed, ever. Oh, my God. We could be in the room. Who's got tunes, man? So it would be like Dave at that time. Total Four is when we all started really jumping on the writing, but uh, Dave, Dave always had a tune, you know. So he sat down, and, we, and this is like our last, the record before that, Turn Back, didn't, didn't sell that much, you know. I mean, it did okay by today's standards, but back then, if you didn't sell multi-platinum, it was a stiff. And um, anyway, so they're like, you better make a fuck, you better give us some hits or you're off the label. Yeah. So we were this motivated. Was, this was the big you know? push. Oh, yeah. Didn't Schnee mix that record? Nope. Turn Back? No, that was great. Um, Jeff Workman. Was what was the one that Baker's What was the one that Schnee mixed? Because I worked on that one. Schnee never mixed a record for us. He worked on some stuff. Did some I worked on it with him. I remember doing it. No, we never mixed with. We never mixed a record with Bill. We worked with him, but what we the didn't hell did mix. we do? It was a record one. Could have been Boss Gags. Could have been. I don't know. I thought it was you guys. No. Oh, well. We worked at Schnee's Crowded studio. Crowded studio. We're getting it. around the block here, man. You know. Yeah, it's okay. all good. We Why got you, to, you know, we could because we got the history and we haven't seen each other in a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what this is about, though. Yeah. Documenting yeah. stuff just for the studio, talking. 60 year anniversary. Right here, man. I remember when Paige played Rosanna. We were like, oh, figure it out. And we we ran the, we, he played it and we figured out who's going to sing what and what key and make sure that was all cool. And then I think Hungate wrote out a, David Hungate wrote out a chord chart and we just started jamming. We did one take. That's pretty close. Al Schmidt was engineering. Uh huh. Um, I were you no, you weren't there. You came in at the end, the overdubs with Ladani. Overdubs and mix. Because Ladani mixed that record, mm -hmm. but Al so that cut all the tracks and did most of the overdubs. Nineteen eighty one? Had to be you, that's when we started it in nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Where were the where uh Al want the drums at in here? Where did he put them? Yeah, do you remember? We're over there. In the corner. Yeah. Not the exact it was usually just right there. Gotcha. With some room to get to the door. Yeah. Because I remember Jeff would be here. Incredible. I have one of my amps in one of these rooms. Do you have a Grammy for that? Interesting then? things would happen. Okay, because you were just assisting then. Yeah, gotcha. Did yeah. Uh, Al bring you in on that then? No, you guys did. Yeah, we we did because there was a lot to handle. We had I'm the sure. documentation and all that. You had just to the be whole there, thing. So was you have to come with us because you're the only one that knows where everything <laughs> is. You know? I would go to the to the manor and I would go to uh, Good Morning Los Angeles, Jeff's studio. The manor was Paige's place, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. the villa. The was, villa. Was the right. Place. They, it was so cutting edge, too, because you were running three 24-track tape four, machines. It got so. up to four on Jesus. Africa. <laughs> well, I mean, they gave us the keys to the kingdom, man. You know, we were a bunch of kids. And, you know, I mean, we were like 23, 24 years old when we did Total Four. Gosh. I remember two-inch so reels of tape just oh, yeah. spread out in there. Well, there was all, it was insane. I mean, but we just were so, you know... Excited motivated to do something. We wow. and once we cut that track, we kind of felt like, well, I think we may have something here. Record company came. We the first week of tracking, we cut about three or four great things and overdubbed on them, so people could kind of get a vibe for it. And the record company all of a sudden became friends with us again. <laughs> That's great. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Back to your session playing days, but we definitely want to talk about this. Were you? Uh, having to ghostwrite a lot of sessions because you were with CBS at the time when you'd play on like Barbara no, Streisand's record? No, we only had record? one hassle because we built it into our contract because Jeff and Dave, obviously, you know, were well-established studio musicians and 
Dave was producing records and stuff, and we all were doing sessions. So we built it into our deal that we could do whatever sessions we wanted to, and it wouldn't affect nice anything like that. Except we did an Elton John record. Damn. And what happened was uh, Walter Yetnikoff, the president of CBS Sony then, mm -hmm. and Mo Austin got into a tiff. Oh. And uh, Elton was doing a record for Warner Brothers, I guess it was at the time. And Walter goes, well, you can't use those guys' name on your record. They used us for some... Really? And it, it was really hurtful to us because, like, you know, I'm really proud to work with Elton, you know what I mean? I mean, come on. One of the greats of all time. And he was beautiful to us. And um, it just got really weird. And we got caught in the crossfire while that. That was the only time... There was a question of whether we could be put our huh. name on a record, and so no really legally, it couldn't. There was nothing to stand on, but we didn't. You know, we had a record in in, in the hands of like we didn't want to piss off our record companies. Like, ah, whatever, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, had to sign a couple of NDAs in my time, but I can't really get into all that right now. <laughs> it was always great lead guitar players that could solo their ass off, but they had a real tough time playing the dumb shit. Uh -huh. It hired me to go. You play the dumb shit. For, for time and whatnot. I'm yeah, sure. but that's that's very humble. You have one of the best rhythm oh, right hands man, you know, on the thing. I mean, I, listen, I make more money. I made more. It's harder to play rhythm than it is to riff. It is. Well, no, it's, I mean, anybody can solo. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, there's like seven year old kids in Japan that are like shred so fast. You go, do you see it? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, and it's a, it's a exercise of futility at a certain point, you know. Because the dumb shit is what makes the world go round. Yeah. Chugging eighth notes. There's you, know you I mean? there's yeah, Waddy. I mean, all you else? have to do is... is there's is, not a lot. Is, there's nothing wrong with having amazing technical ability. I mean, you know, everybody practices for all that. But, I mean, how many... I got... To, <laughs> I, I was told I could never come back to the Berkeley School of Music and do a seminar ever again, even though I, I gave them one for free. Why is that? Because I made... A comment that offended the one woman that happened to be in the audience, oh. and I, I even gave a disclaimer. I had somebody say, "Hey, this guy's crazy. Level say anything." So if you offend <laughs> easily, what my joke was, and it's obvious it was a joke. Somebody asked about you know technique. You know when you're playing in sessions, like you know, I said, you know. It, all the ridiculous technique, you know, the crazy chops. Like, it's like having a 20-inch cock. It's great to show it to everybody, but what are you going to How many places can you use it? Huge laugh that bad. from the audience. Yeah. And I saw the president. His name Carl. He was the dean of students. He was head down like this. Oh, uh, no. And every laugh, I think nothing of it. You know, so I get, we go up afterwards, and Carl goes, I mean, Luke, I, you know, I love you. You're hilarious. Everybody love you. We got one complaint, a female, of course, about your penis. Right? <laughs> penis joke. And no I said, penis you know, she would, everybody's over 18 here. You know, what is she? She's a musician. What, she's never going to hear a dick joke? I mean, come on. You're in the wrong line of work, girl. Oh um, anyway, so that was funny. <laughs> awesome. So that, was, that, was <laughs> that is pretty good. Uh, how did you hook up with David Foster? Here? You uh, went from a 20-inch cock to David speaking Foster. Of 20, speaking of 20-inch cocks. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, my God. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> nice segue, though, I have to say. That's pretty good. Uh, Foz. I met Foz through da um, David Page and Jeff Picaro. Here at Sunset? And that's how I met Jay Graydon and Lee Rittenauer and Larry Carlton and 
Dean Parks and all the guys yeah. that were my heroes and guys that I got to sit next to and learn from. Yeah. Coming up, Ray Parker Jr., we sat in here many times. Nice. Ray, man. Yeah. I remember Ray, <laughs> this is great, man. This is like, this is the 70s, like 77, 78, maybe. Ray, we were doing a session here. I forget who the artist was. And Ray would drive in with this white Rolls Royce, man. That like, you'd see the front end coming about two blocks before the passenger. You could see who's driving the car. You know what I mean? Old school. And he was just talking about this recently. We were laughing about it. And I'd show up dressed like, you know, a grunge guy in 77. You know what I mean? I'd ripped up jeans, hair, and Pendleton, and the whole thing. Because who's taking my picture? No one. Anyway, Ray's like, uh, come on, man. I'm, I'm going to go get something to eat. So, you know, so he's got me in the... He's dressed to the nines, man. He's like, Ray is always looking slick, man. And I love him to death so much. But, you know, and I'm dressed up like, you know, I'm like his like, little white house boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Get my bags out of the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mr. Parker. Don't, don't beat me, Mr. Parker. <laughs> oh, those are great days, man. I mean, because everybody, we're just all different kinds of people that, Liked each other a lot and made great music in any configuration you could put us in. A lot of great. This is the this is the room that Lee Sklar took a. Uh, we were doing a record. It was a Jimmy Webb record, I think it was a Jimmy Webb. No. Jimmy Webb? No, it wasn't. We did a Jimmy Webb record. Yeah, it was another record, but it was for the same production team. Anyway, whatever it was, it was one of those things, and we've been doing the same song for a couple of days. It was back in those days. And one of the producers, who I'm not going to say, there was two of them, but I'm not going to say who because I'm not going to you know, start that. But anyway, he comes in, you know, he's trying to convince us to do another take, and he had a cup of coffee in his hand like this. And Scar reached into his bag and pulled out what looked to be a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, you know, a BB gun. Oh, and he shot the hot cup of coffee right out of the guy's head. Oh no! <laughs> Screaming and yelling. Needless to say, he got fired. Uh, I thought it was one of the funniest Ooh. things I've ever seen in my life. That must have been crazy. He was right just, there, right in that there. corner. Oh, That's amazing. So this room right now. I'm What's a your dad doing? Being in the room. <laughs> What's Tootie Camerata, Paul's father, started right. Sunset Sound? Tootie was great, man. Uh, I remember Tootie when I was young. What's he thinking when this is going on? There's um, people with was, ninja swords sort of, outside well, and BB he guns. He became aware of me everywhere. when I was given, when I demanded the code for the, <laughs> the phone. <laughs> you know, he was here. Uh, I think I, you know, and I would just blurt out shit, you know, for no reason at all. Because if I knew there was an audience out there at the basketball court, I could say something fucked up and uh, get a laugh. Cheap yeah, laugh. he used to get a laugh out of it. But yeah, Tootie was like, you know, we got a message from the owner of the studio to Tell Luca there to stop using the intercom system. <laughs> and they change the number all the time. And I just grab one of the seconds and fucking like That's the know, number. I'd get it out of him. <laughs> or her, just so nobody gets in trouble. Tell the story what your dad is walking because Blessed Sacrament, the church across the street, which has a lot of history with Sunset, with Jim Morrison and mm -hmm. the nuns lived upstairs, but they were your father was so my touring. My father them. hooks up with the nuns. They had a choir. I bet he did a, a choir. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were so hot. So they had you a can't choir use hooked or, up anymore. or something at the church. So he he wanted to record them. So I remember. I bet I, he did. He, 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 he took Leonard over there with the consulate and recorded them, and then he brought him back to the studio. And they were visiting here that day. Jeff got on the intercom. What did Jeff say? Uh, Jeff said it smelled. 
<laughs> it was pretty hilarious. Well, you know, he probably saw them, and it was inspired yeah. to. For well, no, it's for Simmons. It, it, yeah. it was a story. Well, you yeah, know, I don't know that same terminology. Yeah, uh, but he was here, and and I remember. My I dad, don't know about that one. My dad, I don't think my I was, dad there. was kind of like, huh? What's that? Those the boys must be having <laughs> the boys. Yes. But the, the nuns were like giggling. <laughs> <laughs> he said butt fuck. Oh, my, one of my favorite things in the world to do is 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 find find a priest in a in like say the airport. Go, I got a joke for you, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, that was fun times. What did, uh, what did your dad think about that. this though? I mean, not just Steve yeah, he was a musician. Gang, it I mean, was like you know. Yeah, but this is beyond just kind of being Don't a rascal. You hear the this joke is, I told the priest. I was going to yeah. ask. I, <laughs> What's the worst thing about being an atheist? What is? You got nobody to talk to when you're getting a blowjob. <laughs> Gets them every time. They're, they're out, they're cracking up. They go, that's fantastic. I go, see, I knew you guys got a sense of humor, man. You <laughs> <laughs> got the collars. I mean, you know, you know come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> really good i don't think we can air you this. remember when we were in nashville he was you were staying at some hotel with a big marble entrance and it was all these people from texas that were there You're asking and they had, me if i remember that yeah you were playing with bob seeger you were doing bob a record, doing with, a record with Seeger. yeah that would have been 1990 she's i have no recollection what was i doing <clears throat> i come walking in so we can go to lunch and right. you see me from across and there's just all texas tourists very republican and I hear this screaming voice, Neeks, I need you in me now. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with that. Half the tourists just kind of put their bags down and left. <laughs> I used to, see, I've calmed down in my old days. But I used to have that effect on people. I could clear a room pretty quick. <laughs> oh, I wow. Listen, you know, I mean, we just were, you know, when it came time to work, we worked. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! But as soon as we were done working, man, it was like just a bunch of teenagers in old meat suits hanging out in the. Skin. You know, that's the thing about the the you, everybody should really know. A lot of the disciplines that people use now, um, in Pro Tools, and more importantly, <clears throat> in uh, the hierarchy of track consolidation and and organization, started around those records you guys in particular because nobody had done more than except for weather report i'd never seen any other band use more than two reels there was a master and a slave and to keep track of you know well this guy's got all these overdubs and then this went to page the studio the track sheets were really important they were really important sometimes people didn't really a lot of you but other people a lot of the organization and the 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 record keeping and the hierarchies and all of that stuff came from there from the the same habits today if you look at them the way i mean stuff that that i learned and then i gave to an assistant and they gave to an assistant and you Mm -hmm. talk to some guy that's four generations away but this is how they title everything and this is how they keep track of everything it's all from there you know when you start getting into 48 tracks or more more especially lots of like you had your Master reel, which you had all the you know the first generation tracking and whatever initial overdubs you did, mm-hmm. uh, you took that off. You copied everything. You put everything down to a couple tracks, and then that would open up all the other things to overdub. Everybody knows that. Right. But sometimes you get into more than one reel, and then things would get confused. Is that 
we is that the master or we how do we configure it? So that's why seconds and the engineers themselves had to be really on it as far as documentation. So what you're saying, all these little crib notes you'd put next to right, it. Right, all the comments. Guitar, it had to be a specific rhythm uh, muted part in B section only or whatever. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And you find a shorthand for that because you can't write all this stuff in a little box. You know. And I mean? then the thing that would happen is we would make uh, consolidated slave reels. Like you'd sit down. I remember I would sit down with Paige and, and there'd be 16 there'd be eight stereo pairs mm -hmm. and they would work their way through a song and you'd have to comp all those to two or four eventually be like open up some more right. tracks nico right it's like, so, so you'd you, have so to you'd build take something it. that was bouncing into that was right. not the master Jason. it was a copy of a copy right and then you could you could trash that and put it down a few generations to work to yeah. but you always knew you had your pristine that never got played until it was time to mix again Wow. It or was until fun. you had to make another reel or something came up. You know, it was really really fun keeping track of everything. Remember who was that guy? Miss the tones, man. I do. Oh, alignment tones. Yeah. One K. At yeah. two hundred fifteen nanowebers. Who was the guy that did that? I, <laughs> I was don't know. Meet the guy <laughs> who was the voice. The alignment the tape voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Remember that guy, Bruce Bruce High, aptly named. Bruce, Bruce, hi, yes. Yeah, Bruce, he used to. He was like guy. the archivist for you guys for for Dave and Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the really early on. Bruce High was like. I remember him? I don't think he made it to the third record. Man. He taught me a lot of that organization stuff. Uh -huh. Bruce was a good guy. I wonder whatever happened to him. Hi, Bruce. Yeah, I don't know where he is. He used to live by my mom. He's probably like in a monk in, a, in somewhere. Going, I survived this shit. That's <laughs> like speak English rusty. to anyone anymore. <laughs> Jackson's assistant, Rusty. He moved to a farm in Nebraska. And oh, just, is that what it yeah. is? <laughs> you know, you know we, we never meant to do that, but we were very, um, we only expected what we were willing to give up ourselves, and which was everything. And we assumed that from everybody. Not everybody wanted to give everything to you. I mean, you weren't their whole life. You know. But, uh, you know, we had a great time, man. I mean, I have few regrets in terms of recording. I don't My life any. regrets. That's another story. We, that's another episode, kids. <laughs> episode two. Back to lunch for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So Tom, Tom Knox was an engineer. I was trying Early. to remember his Early. name. But Tom came, Tom was David Page's buddy. The first time I did the first demos we ever did as the band were in January of 77, and Tom was the, was the uh, engineer. Oh, he was the engineer. I learned how to, Tom Knox sat with me because Page was notoriously late every day. No. Um, to the point where we changed his name on the rooming list uh, to <laughs> Al Wayslade. <laughs> <laughs> Always late, yeah. Always late. <laughs> the ways late. Anyway, where was I going with this? Man, I Knox, had a Tom point. Knox. Knox, yeah. you know, he, we were when we first started. We're, we did our first record here and at Studio Fifty Five, Richard Perry's place. Yeah. Okay. And you know, I, before I got over here, you know, I was able to sit in front of a desk and start playing with shit because I was a kid. You know, because Dave was always late. You know, I go, Tom, put up the put up the twenty four track and show me what all this shit oh, does. So you got to play around. A Tom lot. taught me, all, you know, about EQ and you know, uh -huh. and, and then he just kind of goes, just put it where you hear the here it is, move it until it sounds good. Then we'll get into the technical aspects of it. So I had a blast, you know, just learning how to and just using my ears to. So he was on four a little bit, wasn't he? No. Yeah. No? Tom Knox. 
He did a couple of overdubs. Yeah, that's because oh. I met him Al here. Al Schmidt was, we had hired Al to, to, to Al do all the tracks and the overdubs. Here. Al and David Leonard. And then Knox was up at uh, Paige's house with Steve, and they would he was engineering some of their overdubs, do some vocal stuff, some, a lot of keyboard stuff. Got it. And uh, we were working here. Al Aaron. brought me down here, but yeah. we were just leaning against the back wall at 2 in the morning, and Knox was engineering. I remember that. He may have been hanging around, sitting in front of the desk, but well, what, that's what I remember looking down on. Yeah. At that point, and then you guys did some of the work at Record One, right? Or that or that's we where mixed it got it mixed, mixed, yeah, with Ladani. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where he wanted to work. Yeah, because he was brought in late. Right, we thought it'd be a good idea to get somebody, some really aggressive mixer. Yeah, I was super high fi dude. He can't get it better than that, you know. Right. But yeah, he was busy, and then we said, "Let's get Greg." I was working with Greg on some stuff. I love what he was doing over there with you at Record One. And that's when Val. Had I think it might have been one. Henley's first record. Yeah, you, you were listening to Johnny. Johnny that's that's, that's when I started first started, and I did, yeah. he had done a Peter Cetera record. Ladani oh, yeah. produced a record, then I played on that. So we sort of develop a, a friendship and, and a rapport. He, I loved the sounds he was getting. So the way that worked out was just he was brought in at the very end to, to make this great. Yeah, I remember and, when he got and when that. we did that, when we mixed that record, there was no automation. There was the first muting automation that just come in. Oh, jeez. So mute, it was like mute matrix. 80, yeah, yeah, 81. It was the end of 81 or so when we started mixing. They began so everybody's grabbing faders and moving well, them. It was performance, man. Oh, jeez. One of the classics was like, LaDonna was the only cat I ever knew to do this. Um, I, I used to go, let me do the fade, man. You know, so I touch it. And right when it get down to the end, Ladani would like turn the volume of the big speakers up on full and then flip the fucking thing up on full blast so that you could hear just the very, very bottom end of the fade. fade. Sure. But when he would do it, it would come from, you know, he'd mix super quiet on the aura tones and all that stuff. Yeah. And he'd kick it up on the big speakers that they'd go from zero to like, you know, a thousand dB in one second. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, recede your gums. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there was all kinds of funny, crazy shit that we used to do. There was so much fun. Just the performer, you were there. Everybody, was oh, over yeah. the, Jeff would be over there pressing the buses in on just this one echo thing, and that's what we all used to do here. I mean, we used You'd to rehearse here, man. You know, yeah, man. And it was it was an event. You were exhilarated at the end of it. Oh, did we get it? I think we got it. Yeah, yeah. Let's play it back. You know, who? Why so did you guys fun. pick Al Schmidt to engineer the record? I mean, obviously he's amazing, but why? How did you? Because we had gone through. We just wanted somebody to get the stuff on tape great, okay, and be it could do it real fast because we didn't we didn't want to spend all day getting sounds. Yeah, you know what I mean. We well, wanted because we a... didn't rehearse, and if something was starting to happen, we wanted to get it on tape. And I was like, when we did a Rosanna, it was like you know the whole end vamp was never rehearsed. It was not even supposed to be. God, that. that's wow. Okay, and cool. so when we it's supposed to end. Okay, see you later. And Jeff went flop, doom, doom, doom. And Dave started doing the Dr. John shit, and we went with it. And at the end of that, we'd, it fell apart, and I kind of looked over and in here into that very window, and did you get that? And I was going... Got it. Season Like, you never had to worry about, like, did he, you're the same way. Always keep the tape rolling, because you never know what's going to happen. No. This and never so stop cool. until the band stops. Until they're standing the next to you. You don't stop. Well, the end vamp, something, everybody's jamming. It's all happening. You stop the tape. It's like, 
It's like pulling out at the point of orgasm. Like, <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Wait a minute. What are you doing here, man? You know? <laughs> yeah. Perfect I'm not analogy. finished yet. Perfect. Did I ask for a towel yet? <laughs> <laughs> I had to put an NC-17 disclaimer on this one. Uh, for the is, kids. Is life NC-17 NC at this point? Yes. Depends on who's airing the content, though. Some people are allowed to. Some others aren't. Can you explain, Nico, a serious question now? For those that don't know, what Al Schmidt meant to recording over his oh, life and also what he meant to you as a friend, as a mentor, and just how would you explain Al Schmidt? Wow. Um, there's future engineers. There's Farouk over here running sound who's an assistant. Like, how explain it? Al Schmidt meant to you. I know that's a heavy question, simple. but it's simple. Yeah. He's um, Al started from no tools mono and having to learn how to make he everything was recording on wax on wax yeah <laughs> you had to learn <laughs> no what, he was what it sounded like yeah. Out here. oh yeah and get that to translate into multi-track recording he kept the simplicity and that's what he would teach us you and else i'll have my husband oh yeah well, he knew what things yeah, you sounded. Get these cats like. are coming now, man. They're already EQing the EQ and the you know the you know before they've even heard the source. Yeah, Al. I mean, it used to be we used to crack up all the time because the engineers would spend like thirty hours on the drums. I'd be like, let's get a guitar sound. I'm plugging. Okay, that's great. Let's hear the bass. I'm like, hey, where's the loaf? <laughs> what do you mean? He's already got it. You know. And so Al would come out and he'd poke his head and listen to my amp. And he just moved the 57 just to taste. And it's going to be like. Big fixed. difference. You know? Yeah. If I yeah. look, I watch his EQ all the time when you had the API in here. Yeah. And um, one click at 10. Maybe. Not much. You know, one click minus 1K, whatever. You know, never. There was never any of this, you know, and yeah. his levels. He'd always keep his levels. Like he'd be really, he'd be watching. Oh, the biggest thing he, he would yell, yell at me. Yeah, you, which was we, interesting. You make your your life off the ballistics of the VUs. You learn them. I learned from from Val and Hassinger taught Val and Al taught Hassinger. That's just the system. But the first session I ever did with Al was uh, <clears throat> I balanced everything before he got there, and he came in, and it was uh, woodwinds and strings, some jazz thing. And he sat down and he hit play and he listened to it and he hit stop and he looked and he looked at me and he goes, where'd you learn this? And I said, I'm your great-grandson. <laughs> and he went, oh, cool. Did he? Yeah. your great-grandson? <laughs> Is that your opening line? Yeah. Well, you How guys, you doing? You guys are as tight <laughs> as two human beings could be without yeah, penetration. We hung it. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the drives are wearing a tie. Because <laughs> yeah. I lost a bet. Yeah, I did. And I will always wear a tie now. That's what that's yeah, about. There's no way you're getting out of it. I can't now. Yeah, the what motherfucker. The <laughs> it doesn't tell? matter. No. Okay. It's cool. But I'm not losing. <laughs> Al, Al, also, people, he was he was incredibly serious with his work. And, you know, there was no. Fanatical. Man, arguably the best ever. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? When I say arguably, I have to get that because there's, you know. He was, we all learned from Al. When I first started doing sessions, he was the first great engineer that I ever sat my little sorry ass in front of. And he was really good to me. Taught me things. Like, hey, why don't you do... He was always really cool. And we became dear friends. And when we were doing Total 4, we used to... We had so much fun. It was just great, great times, man. One time, Al really got me into 
relearning and studying what he was saying, mic placement. I'm, you know, I'm fanatical about it. And one time I stopped in to see him and he was mixing a big band and I listened to it and it just it didn't sound good. It sounded good, but it wasn't, didn't sound like him. It wasn't deep. So I went up to him and I said, you all right, man? And he doesn't even move. He just goes, I didn't cut it. And I went, oh, okay. And I'm listening. And then I realized his assistant had cut it. He didn't want to say anything. And it sounded like they had just taken a setup that was Al's, but they didn't actually go out and listen. They just put the mics up about where they were. And that's what was wrong. So I leaned over and I said, I think she's right. I think three inches makes a difference. <laughs> and he just he had stopped and turned around and slapped me. <laughs> How long yeah. did you work with him? Three decades? Four? I've known Al since uh, 81. Since that, yeah. He was, yeah. I miss him a lot, man. Yeah, too many of our, and then too many of our brothers are gone. Man. Yeah, well, I yeah. I talked to him two hours before he he passed away. I was oh. talking to him. I was going to go pick him up, but he had a ride from Cedars. I mean, he's he was very vital up until he. Well, checked the thing out. about Al is like he never aged. Yeah, no, like, no. a picture of Dorian Gray. He always. I mean, when I met same. you know, it's like he was like he wouldn't even tell always anybody how old he was. We, I don't think I know how old he he was. He was ninety three. Was he fucking yeah. really yeah. amazing? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was up there. He was rocking. And sharp the last attack. five he, years. He looked like he was 50, like <clears throat> yeah. forever 50. But we would young do, 50. We would mix, like like Steve Jordan, it was great. He had me cut half of an album, and he had Al cut half of an album, and then he had me mix Al's tracks, and Al mixed mine. And we're both... That's Working, yeah, it was a soul record That's for incredible. Rod Stewart. It was awesome. What a great! Uh, and so I would have loved to hear that. I'm mixing, and the phone rings, and uh, my assistant goes, "Nico, it's Al. He sounds pissed." And I went, "What?" So I take the phone. I says, "Yo, what's up?" And he goes, "Hey, man, from my room, it sounds like there's too much bass." And he hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> There was a difference between the way you would listen. Yeah, exactly. The levels of which you would listen. Al could mix a record without any speakers on. No, that was actually... There, there, was, there was a rumor that Al mixed the Steely Dan track without hearing so what any happened? the music just by looking at the VU. Here's the story with that. I think that... I, know, I don't know if that's a bullshit story or not. It's a great story. It could have been here, but he was he was mixing for them, and then he got everything balanced, and then he turned the, the speakers off, to take a phone call or something. And then he went back and he just had the machine running and the videos were going. He's just watching the ballistics. And the guys, Gary Katz and, and the cats show up after lunch and they come in and they're real quiet. And they just see Al sitting at the console looking at the VUs. And then he goes and turns the speakers up and it sounds beautiful. And Katz turns around and he goes, he doesn't even listen. And that's what <laughs> happens. <laughs> Let's <laughs> well, you know, let's keep the myth alive. It's you know just I mean? great. I thought, but I mean, the thing is, you say that about anybody else, you'd laugh. Al Schmidt, you go. I wonder. Wow. I wonder. Al yeah. could probably do that. You know what I mean? There's very few cats. There's some of those, you know, the older school cats, man. They just had that, sure. have that aura about them. Um, you know, and he was definitely yeah. You could just feel everybody it. just Al Schmidt. You know, but there's a big hole where it'll never be. The filled. second half of your question was, uh, it was okay to really be emotionally involved. That's what you learned from Al. Like, and and it it goes to the point that Steve was making. You know, for that that block of time, there were those of us. This is all that mattered. You know, if if these cats wanted to do overdubs. 
everything in my family life was canceled. As far as I was concerned, I was on a nuclear sub. We were under the ice cap. And we, we were, were under the ice cap, all right, but that's not much. We're not coming home. Now, let me look you straight in the eyes in this camera going, all the myths about how much cocaine we did are grossly or, or you know, exaggerated. Were we naughty? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. When we were working, I mean, how naughty can you be when you have to concentrate on shit like that? There may have been a little bit of misbehavior. Days in the studio. There may have been a little bit of misbehavior, but uh, the bad shit didn't happen until the session ended. Ended, yeah. yeah. Everybody split. And but the focus. Like, what do you mean it's 9 in the morning? I got a 10 a.m. session. The focus Uh-oh. was so hyper intense for what we were doing. And a lot of the stuff we were doing, there was so much to learn. From these guys, you know, well, especially we were Steve. also really young, so we so were bulletproof in every era. We didn't need a lot of sleep. We didn't need. We were yeah. all married with children. I we had a yogurt. Like, the was studio was like this is where we live. Yeah, you know this what is I mean? it. Anything we wanted. At one point, we were doing the Hydra record in here. We had a motorhome. We had a motorhome out there. Just to hang in? Oh, I For don't people think to I re- sleep in. I didn't remember. That. I remember you guys sleeping in the lounge. Well, there was there was that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody needed an extra couple hours because sure. if you didn't sleep the night before, you needed to catch up a little. Uh, but no, there were cats that would go out in there and do tag team. And then, you know, then of course, you know, various people would drop off, you know. Sundries. 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 Yeah. Sundries. Sundries. And, and, li- and liquid refreshment. Mm-hmm. And fuel. And, and, and food. You know? yeah. Oh, and that up. too. Food. Gosh. This is a, there were some great men. Yeah. We were had this complex, Sunset Sound. I mean, not only is it legendary for everything that's come out of it, but some of the hangs, like, the, like when we'd be doing sessions, sometimes we wouldn't go in and listen because it was like, you know, it was like the, wasn't that kind of a vibe. We'd do and they go okay we're gonna listen so we just go right out that door and turn right into the women's bathroom <laughs> and there was never any women except for peggy here at that yeah, time probably and she Pretty was much. already hip to what was going on but if you walked into that bathroom what nobody knew that unless they went in there was that there was a mirror like this and a mirror like this yeah. <laughs> a mirror on the table yeah yep. mirror on the table and you know when the band they couldn't find the band <laughs> for the next take where are they I know where they are. <laughs> you know? Wow. Oh, there'd be all kinds uh, of so The Peggy- tape library here. There used to be the tape yeah. library here. Oh, yeah. A lot of midnight confessions in there. When you walked in this room, that's exactly where you went and opened the door. And I went to see if it was still, there was no tape anymore, so there was nothing to store. Peggy uh, has been on this show. She comes down. We love her. Tell her I said love, man. I haven't seen her in years, man. She, is, she was so great. I yeah. always loved her. She's yeah. still great. Exactly. When I did the, I had to do a bunch of uh, remixes for Prince. I called Peggy. I said, "You got to come help me do this. This is yours." And she came over, and uh, she's exactly the same. She's yep. just wonderful, super no quick, years right away. She's amazing. She was great. She's down. Um, she, obviously, she, she is. I don't even know was. She's still with us. Yeah, she's, oh, yeah, she's cool. Bag. I'm just kidding. Peggy McCray worked with Prince for six, seven years. Did you see Prince yeah. in those days back here? I mean, oh, Paul gave the, him a piano. No, 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 no. This is great Prince stories. Uh, the first time I worked with Prince was in Studio 3. Worked with, with him. James Newton Howard uh, was producing Valerie Carter. And, oh, yeah. And Prince had just been discovered by Cavallo Ruffalo, management yeah. company, and he'd flown him in from Minnesota, and, and James had hired me for the session anyway. 
And uh, he said, man, there's this kid here, man, from Minneapolis. He's supposed to be some genius guy. They want they want him to co-produce with me or whatever. I think he's just going to hang out a little bit. Don't worry about it. And he was my age, so I didn't, you know. So I get in there. I didn't know Prince. I go, I thought, first thing you hear is somebody calls himself Prince. I'm going, <laughs> that's his name? Or did he did he give that to himself? I'm just being a smart ass. I know nothing about this guy. Right. Well, he Prince, was a, huh? He's a nun. And, uh, you know, so anyway, he's there and he's just this little quiet, skinny little dude. And, he, and you know, this was before you blew it out for the tracking. It, yeah, it was just, just the overdub the mix room. room overdub with one vocal. Oh, yeah. wow. That's all that was there when we did Hydra's. So that would have been 79, 80. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this would have been right around that time period, and he was. I was sitting with James, like, say, this is three. James was sitting here. I was sitting here playing. Speakers there. The couch is where you are down. So I didn't really see him, but I play something. I was doing solos or something like that. I do something. I play something, and James goes, "Yeah." And all of a sudden, it'd be real quiet, and from the front, it would just be this. <laughs> Look over. <huh? laughs> <laughs> I didn't say a fucking word, man. And I'm going to James. Go, what's up with this cat, man? I mean, he was creeping me out. He didn't, wow. never said a freaking word to me. So that's the first Prince encounter, and that's a production on I'm his part. I'm playing all day long. The cat never said nothing to me, man. Wow. Just occasionally would stare at me in a very odd way. <laughs> So then he becomes Prince and all this thing. Well, well he was uh, mixing Purple Rain. Yeah. I was working here, too, and he was in three. And it was like 10 in the morning. I was here for a tracking session for somebody. I forget who it was. And he was sitting on that purple bike that was in the movie in a silver LeMay suit. <laughs> sitting on it. And it's not on. Yeah. Right? At the, at the, he had this, like, a huge... Um, Bodyguard. But white bodyguard guy oh, with the white big hair. Dude. You know, yeah. play basketball with him in high heels and stuff like that. It's pretty freaky. <laughs> but the cat was on the bike, man. And I just when I'm walking in, I like I see him. I got a guitar. I go, hey man. And he's, I got like one of these. He's sitting on the bike. It's 10 in the morning with the full everything, you know? He's like this. And I go, hey man. He goes, <laughs> I got a little. I got a little. Uh. Uh. I've had many, a few prints. Wow. So I'm a big fan. Let me just say. Of course. As yeah. A yeah, he wouldn't talk to me, man. He and there was another, and it, and it lasted quiet. a long time because we did this, I don't know, I made it 10 years ago, maybe a little longer. We did a, a show in Curacao, which is, a, I want to say, a Danish island. Mm. And they have the, uh, the jazz, North Sea Jazz Festival, Curacao. Yeah. And we did. We headlined one night, and Prince was headlining one night. Oh. So we were there the night before. And now, I knew we were going to this island, so six months prior, I had booked the biggest suite overlooking the ocean because it was a vacation. I'm going, I'm going to hang here afterwards, and yeah. I want the nicest room they got, my dime. Well, apparently, Prince wanted that room. Oh. <laughs> and I already had it. <laughs> and I was right above him. Oh, my. And he was pissed. And I wanted to go see the show. He wouldn't let us come on the stage to see his show. And and our tour manager at that time used to work for Prince as a tour manager. Oh, no kidding. So you had a connection. And he was, oh, yeah. He, he was totally like, no. He also screwed. Yeah, well, I'm not going to start talking about this. <laughs> anyway, it was a very, I find it humorous. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I was going to drop down like a little rubber duck with a sign on it and say, hey, man, are we cool? <laughs> you know, but but uh, that didn't get to happen. You know uh, what I mean? Wow, that's amazing. Um, obviously, this room 
held Toto Four sessions and amazing, amazing other things. But Eddie Van Halen and his brother and Michael Anthony, David Lee Roth, coming in 1976 and do the demos in here. Mm -hmm. Ten rolls of tape, 25 tracks, all in one day. Don yeah. Landy, Ted Templeman. I've seen the photos. When did you first meet Ed here? I met Ed in '79 at the California World Music Festival at the uh, Coliseum. Wow, so you didn't know who he was when you oh, guys I were... Oh, I knew who he was then, because when we were doing our first record, yeah, their first album had just come out, just come out. <sighs> and Paige came into the studio, with the, and he goes, here, I want you to hear something while you're doing solos. And he played me Eruption. Oh, shit. Oh, no kidding. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, I lost my mind, because I never heard anything like him before. How yeah. does, what, how, what, uh, who is, why, I gotta know... Because I remember hearing about me and Mike Landau grew up together. You know, legendary yeah. Michael Landau. We've known each other since we were 12. One of the greatest guitar players of all time. Anyway, we heard about him because we had a band in high school. And we auditioned for Gazaris, which is the club down yeah, here. Yeah. And the, Van Halen was the headline act. Oh. Now, we thought Van Halen was some guy named Van Halen. Yeah. We didn't know, but we'd go hang out at... Uh, Guitar Center on Sunset when we were still in junior high and stuff like that. And you get our parents to drop us off if you hours to play all the guitars we couldn't afford. Anyway, we heard, hey, man, you guys, you and Lando. He goes, you guys should meet this guy named Eddie from Pasadena, man. He's another young cat like you guys. Man, plays a... <laughs> anyway, we got we, we auditioned for Gazars. We're going, right, we're, going to, we're trying to make it like that. It was me and Landau and John Pierce and another drummer. This is the David. high school band? Yeah. yeah. One of my high school bands. Yeah. And uh, we auditioned, got the gig, and then they wow. found out we were 16 years old. Uh, and they said, we can't. You got to be at least 18. So the confusing part was when the first Van Halen record came out, and they had put him at, at the same age as me. But, but he wasn't. But he wasn't. He was older. Yeah. David Lee Roth wanted him to lie about his age that's what eddie told me anyway i said because i said to him i said wait a second that can't be because when we auditioned for the club they were obviously 18 and older yeah 18 19 20 maybe even and it didn't make any sense and then when i started hanging out with ed like the first night big hang it was me ed and don landy up at ed's house with the, oh, the original kid. 5150 yeah and uh we had uh a wonderful first hang. Ask, ask Don Landy about that night. That was a fun night. Um, and he and I mentioned it. How old are you, man? After copious amounts of beverages and whatnot. He goes, oh, yeah, that was Roth, man. I'm, you know, I'm the same age as you. He's actually just a little older than me. Yeah. Not much. Did you guys ever play together on, yeah. any, on anything? Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, we play, I'm, I think I'm one of the few guitar players ever played with Van Halen. Oh. Live, I played with them in Texas. I played with them at the Cabo Wobble opening. Oh wow! Um, in... I sang backgrounds on a couple of the records. Oh shit! Yeah, I just happened to be up, and they go, "Come on, we need another one." What songs did you jam oh, on when you play out live? Memory serves me right. It would have been like uh, the Fuck album, and uh, what was the one before that? It was Sammy was in the band. Oh, Sammy was in the band. Uh, so okay, it was a. Uh, one of them, Ted Templeman, was the producer when I went out there. I think it was Top of the World. I just did some ooze and sang in the background. I mean, it was no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, but I sang on a couple of tracks for them. But I never played. I mean, there's the idea that somebody would say, oh, yeah, I played for Eddie. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Fucking Eddie Van Halen. What are you, you know? But he, did, he worked on my first solo record. Uh, we wrote something and he played. And we did a bunch of stuff over the years. You know, We played live with uh, for a benefit for Jason Becker, God bless him, for uh, 
ALS before Mike got it. Yeah. Uh, Mike Bacaro. And we it was Billy Sheehan, me, Pat Torpy, and Ed. Wow. We just played some crazy stuff in Chicago. Um did you ever come in session like during Fair Warning when they were tracking here, 82? I, I walked in the studio one looking for Ed once, and Roth was sitting there with Don Landy. And I walked in just like the ever jovial self. you know, Hey, man, yeah. hey, Don, what's up? Where's Ed? And Roth looked at me like I just killed his parents or something. <laughs> really? Like, <laughs> what, what, are you, on his face what are you doing like, here? Huh? Disgust. <laughs> like, how dare you share the same air? I'm like, I'm like, got the vibe right away. I'm just looking for Ed, man. And Don goes, no, no, he's he's over there, Luke. He's over there. And I got out of there quick, you know. <laughs> nice. Like I just yeah, killed I mean, his Al, Alan, you know, Alan, I'm friends with all those guys. I just never knew David, you know. Don Landy and the engineering side as well, a complete legend. Don Landy, I tried to get Landy to work with us. Did I said, you? you got to do something with us, Don. He's, I only work with Ed, man. Oh, is that what he I said? go, come on. What is it with you guys? I asked Alex to play on something once, too. And he said, I can only play with my brother, man. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Just thinking, oh. That's wild. That's too um, bad. No, but I mean, a huge Don Landy fan way before Van Halen. Yeah. All the stuff with Little Feet, oh, Doobie yeah. Brothers, all the stuff him and Ted Templeman did together. The sound. It's, it's, there's no. He's like out. He's, he's all about placement. Do you play those records now? They're hi fi, they're present, but they're not. They sound the way they're supposed like to that. sound. Don's another one of those guys, yeah. like a quieter, less famous version of Al Schmidt, mm-hmm. but the same sort of like respect for recording. I got I mean, I haven't talked to Don in a long time. I love Don Landy. He after he left working with Van Halen, he sort of he got into photography. I called him, oh, cool. and he said, "I I don't even want to know." Yeah, he just started doing photography, and he was done. We have his picture. I think, you know, he had just had enough. Sometimes you get in life. I know guys like this that are musicians. They've just had enough. Don, we we were actually right before Al passed away, we were all going to lunch. Me and Don and Al. Here you go. Just black. Thank you very much. Well, if you talk to Don, tell him I said I will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you still talk We did Michael McDonald together. I did a bunch of stuff with Don and Andy over the years. That's why I'm going, come on, man. We do all this other stuff. Yeah. No, man, I'm just, I'm kind of like, he started backing off of it before he quit. You could feel him pulling back on like, this is just starting to wear me out. Uh, Just the hours or what? I can't speak for the cat, but Dweezil you know, and I emailed him um, to come on this like a year ago, and then he'd he, be incredible. To have he said he he called me. I talked to him for an hour, and I didn't say one word, and it was the most amazing conversation. And he um, gave me all these pointers and told me what was wrong that we were talking about with Peggy and about doing Van Halen two because she assisted on Van Halen one and two. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I'm going to talk to Ted, and we're going to come do this." But I want Ted to be with me. And you've talked to Ted numerous I've times over to the Ted last year, multiple times. Yeah, he wouldn't do it. No, he's he, you know he's a little shy. He, he said he said uh, Ted. Yeah, he's like, well, I Don is kind of shy. Go, he goes, well, let me see if I can get Don. Yeah, yeah, Don is a little shy. But I think together, both of them, they would come down. But singularly, well, I'll tell you what, people would tune in to hear those two talk because they yeah. got oh. big history and some legendary records they made. Some together. of the stuff they did in here, it's yeah. it's crazy, really great. Yeah. How was Sunset Sound in the eighties compared to other studios? Like, was this, this just is the Wild one West? Of my favorite rooms. It's the benchmark. Two here, right where we're sitting. There's just, I can't even put my finger on it. I just know that everything sounds better here. It's so special that this is this, almost two thousand twenty-three. I kind of got a thing for Studio Two. Love them all. <laughs> there's a lot of great shit happened in here, man. I mean, countless, yeah. hundreds of records in this room. 
Oh. Literally, without exaggeration. The Beatles worked in here. Frank Ringo. Zappa. His two big records yeah. he did here. Both of them. How was Ringo, the by the way? I, I was going to see you guys. I had these great seats at the Greek, and then he gets He got COVID, he got COVID. twice COVID. in one month. Yeah. No shit. Wow. Yeah. And he's 82, so, you know. But, but he's he was o- fine. He's like, I don't feel bad, but the box says that I'm oh. sick. Oh, so he was okay, though. I think what happened was he took the drug. Like, when he got it the first time, he took something for it, and then it... To some people, it causes a, a rebound, relapse thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he got it. And he wasn't really bad. You know, I can't really speak for him. He's fine now. I talked to him two days ago. Oh, good. Uh, good. You know, I'm gonna see him Monday. But you know, no, I love him so much, man. No, but no, he's the guy. He's been in every studio. Yeah. You know? But this, everybody loves this room. When people go like, "Hey, where should I work?" I go, "Nice." Anyway, getting back to it. Um, yeah, man, there's just so many great times. Man. This this compound. Sunset was always the benchmark too. Like we would see, no matter what record you were working on, if it was a record that was significant, there'd always be boxes from Sunset Sound, and David Leonard or Peggy's name. We knew each other by our names and Susan Rogers. Yeah, I would see Susan. their names as assistants, and I go, "Who the fuck are these people?" And when David and I finally met each other in Nashville, he goes, you're Nico? And I went, you're David Leonard? Holy <laughs> fuck. <laughs> you don't look anything like I, I thought you would. You <laughs> I was wearing we a, only knew each other's names. Yeah, I was wearing a Sunset Sound t-shirt in Nashville. And he, go, he goes, oh, I used to work there. And I said, oh, wow, I just had an uh, interview with Peggy McCreary. And he goes, I go, what's your name? He goes, David Leonard. I go, oh, uh, I used wow. to be married to <laughs> her. Oh, <shit. laughs> It was so wild, though. I saw that coming a mile away. Uh, you know, she was. You know, they just spent a lot of time together. So, yeah. Did he head engineer and she would assist him? Then, kind of, that was the dynamic of the two. Well, there was just, I don't know. Everybody lived in this. You run into everybody everywhere, yeah. even if they weren't on the same session. See, that was the thing. If you you either it was you were either in this giant family and you lived it, and then occasionally, you know, how you got here, you'd go see those people. Or it didn't work. You'd eventually leave. Like all the people I know, they're they're li- we're all lifers. I just this is the only place I'm comfortable. Why do you think it's so still thriving? And I mean, it was formed in '58 to do Disney. It's now 64 years later, and because it's still of the busy. Sound of it. Because of the, uh, just, the intangibles, yeah, that you yeah. can't really put your finger on. First off, I mean, uh, everybody Tootie. here makes you feel really warm and at home. Always has been that way. I mean, I used to you know, be here so much, it would be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the custodians knew me by name. Right? <laughs> Studios are, f- most facilities that are, have a creative energy, um, the the actual functioning energy of it is from the top down. And Tootie just loved making recordings, and that transcends. So if he decided to put a wall there, he didn't put a wall there because an architect told him it had to be 30.6 inches. He put a wall there because it sounded about right. And it worked, and he could still see the guitar player. So just put the wall there. And, and that's how this place was built. Yeah. It was built because it sounded good this way. Now, Paul, yeah. we're around the same age, right? Yeah, you're a little younger. Am I a little young? I'm 65 now, so that makes you really old fucking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I just remember when I first started working here, I yeah. was young. I looked like 12 years old. Yeah. You know, and I remember seeing you around here. I was here. I was and then before you came in and took over the family business, as it were, you were being groomed at that point for that. I was being, um, 
Yeah, my dad was giving me the opportunity yeah. if I wanted it. He didn't Listen, make I wish my old man record, owned a recording studio. Yeah. <laughs> taught me how to do it. Man. Things Actually, there was a minute there where we were afraid you didn't want to do this <laughs> because it, we were all terrified of losing Sunset. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, yeah, because your, your dad, you know, when he got sick, you know, it was uh, sorry for that, man. He was a good dude. Yeah. Well, by then we were, you know, rolling along with the studio as is. Yeah. But, but uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, the. The sadness of living in 2022 is like, you know, this is one of the, the last of the great recording studios. There's, oh, but a, so evaporated on now. one hand, I think, the, the ones and that were always And now the capital is gone. Now the capital, I mean, that's a tragedy. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're going to turn that into an apartment building. That, that's, that's not going back. Or an back. office building or something. All the gear is gone. Yeah. That, that should have been a landmark. The chambers are. Well, really? you could probably well, I think get the building is a, Don't you guys have tie lines? Don't you guys have tie lines to capitalize? As I seem to remember, we, at one point in our zaniness, we wanted to have every echo chamber in, in L.A. hooked up to our mix. So we would try to finagle that. We did have that at one time. It, uh, the hookup it might have been us, man. The hookup's still there, but but it's not active. Nobody's gone down there and checked those speakers and microphones <laughs> in, the, in the bowels of the... Yeah, we used Vine to, Avenue. <clears throat> I've used tie lines, yeah, a lot back in then. Yeah, I mean, I've always been. I used to live in the studios when that you know when there was work for that. Now, I mean, come on, how many how many guys these these days do twenty sessions a week plus? Yeah. It doesn't exist. Back then, it did. Yeah. So instead of playing live, we were mostly we'd hurry up and come back into the studios, tour a couple months a year, and go okay, let's more recording for ourselves and for other people. We did that for many years before it became more of a live thing because the recorded income didn't match what it used to. Yeah, that's where the money south. is now. Yeah, the when tours. everything went south, you know. Yeah. What's it mean to you uh, when you have a song like Africa that not, goes crazy on like a TikTok campaign? You know, see these kids. It's, it's just it's the gift that keeps on getting. Nobody's more surprised than we were. Yeah. Because that's the goofiest song we've ever recorded. <laughs> it was basically an exercise to see how, how can we use the recording studio to its fullest. We started doing it with loops, and Al Schmidt was there, and he knew how to do it old school. We did it with the tape around the mic stands and holding with a pencil and stuff. Wow. And we'd make the loop, and then we cut that together and start overdubbing to that, and then it just turned into this whole thing. Uh, you know, and, and we cut the whole record without knowing what the lyrics were. Really? the very end. <laughs> wow. Dave would just come along and go, it's a great melody, man. We know lyrics. I don't know. I don't write about... You know, I don't know, Africa or something. It's like Africa. They were from North Hollywood, man. We didn't write about Africa. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, did Jeff come up with the drum riffs? No, Jeff was a, very much of the muse for the whole thing. He was the one that said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do it with a loop. And he kind of, he took over the leadership role in that particular movie, especially when we first started cutting it yeah. all the way up to the point where, and then he helped Dave with the lyrics. Oh, So, okay. you know, the lyrics were silly. I mean, come on, let's face it. I mean, you know. So we never really thought much of it, and then it became a. It was like a number one record back in 1983. Yeah. So we didn't think much of it, and then it's just one of those freaks of nature things. It just came back like a scathing case of herpes from the past. <laughs> you know what I mean? You thought it was gone, but no, it came back. You you scratched it a little too hard, and it festered. There's and do you know you know back. TikTok is right? Oh sure, and we're going crazy on there, and there's like a Toto challenge hashtag Toto. Oh, challenge, there was people that would play the same, play just that song all night long in a club. 
I would kill myself after the <laughs> third time. You know, I would get like, well, you know. Yeah. We was, had no idea what that was going to be. It started out as a gag, and it, and it just snowballed into this massive thing, you know. Huge. Uh, Jim, I'm walking out. Great for the, It's been great the, for business, though. Oh, yeah. I'm walking out of the gate, and Jeff's walking in, and he stops me. And I, I could tell he was really excited, and he goes, Paul, I got something to tell you. And I go, what's that? And he goes, we're going to number one next week on Billboard yeah. with Toto 4. And I was like. Oh my God! Yeah. Really? Those are great times. Yeah, I mean, was that a highlight of? I mean, having Absolutely. that record just yeah, everywhere at the we're time. In the audience, the Grammy Awards going. What is this set up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, and then they call your name. They were just going. This is just. I still. It's still that is so surreal. I don't have much memory of it. Yeah. It was more like you know I was on some acid trip that I. Whirlwind. It was a shame. It was great because my parents were in the audience. They got to see that their investment paid off. The kid did something with himself about that. Did you go to North Hollywood High? Grant High School. And you went to North Hollywood. Gotcha. I was supposed to go to North Hollywood, but I went to Grant. That would that's where I met you know, that changed my whole life going to Grant. You met the guys there. Yeah. So. I met I met the Picaro brothers there. Yeah. And me and Landau went there and a bunch of people and John Pierce, bass player, uh, who's now playing with us again. I stole him back. He's my first friend in the whole world. Our, our moms were pregnant in the same block. That's how long we know each other. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, I met in Landau when I was 12, when we were both 12. And, uh, you know, most of us have, and the Picard brothers in, in high school, I met Steve first, and then we were in his, his band, Still Life, and then that sort of morphed into Boz's band, which morphed into Toto. Did you go on the road with Boz or just Jeff? Oh, no, you both did. Steve did too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was 1977. We, the, the summer of 77, by the fall of 77, we were working on the first album. We had cut demos, four demos in January, early February 77. Yeah. And then we all were doing sessions. And then I got the call to do Boz, which was exciting. It was great because, you know, Silk Degrees was still riding high. Yeah. I, got to, I did an overdub here uh on a solo i did on the the follow-up album to that down to then left which is the first gold record i ever got in my life if i remember correctly i think david produced a boz record here produced i mean yeah he you know he or did arrangements something well no i mean you know by for all intent and purposes he produced the record yeah you know him and jeff you know were the you know, dave wrote all the stuff and with boz and Jeff is Jeff, you know how he'd light up a room no matter when he was. Oh, uh, he yeah. was like just made everything sound better just by being there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> he had a special aura, man. But you can't learn, right? A few more questions. Um, Twelve inches, and I'm heterosexual. <laughs> but you're getting a reduction, you told me. Yeah. What? You're getting a reduction, you told me. I got the reduction. Oh, we nice. Used to be Twenty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Incredible. And he didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Whenever I want to remind myself, though, I just go slam it in the door a couple times and it puffs up rather nicely. It's kind of like a puffer fish, you know? Um, you got to keep this, are you? Can you please set the record straight on the... Did M, Did Ed record the solo for Beat It here, or was just... No, he did that at 5150. Okay. Gotcha. I know this because we had to make the record backwards. Because what happened is Quincy had cut another version of Beat It, which is why people who say they played on it didn't play on the final final he did a version michael did the lead vocal and they did like quintupled it and really worked hard on the vocal and then eddie they sent the tape up to ed's house to don and they cut the two-inch tape which fucked the simpty cook which means they couldn't sync up the master so they had 
two-inch tape with Michael's pristine, comped lead vocal, which they spend a lot of time on, all the background vocals, and then Ed's decided he wanted the solo here, so he put it together and sent it back to him, and it wouldn't uh, sync back up. But Quincy was like, he told me and Jeff, he goes, you got to go to this room I'm sitting in right now. I remember that. With yeah. Umberto Gatica. Uh-huh. He goes, you got to fix this for me. He goes, you guys got to make the whole record to Michael singing and the bleed through from his headphones of what the time was because there was no click track. It was just Simpty Code, vocals, Ed Solo. That was it. So he had to do it by ear. So Jeff goes, and so he, they sent me and him down here with Umberto to fix this. So we clocked the whole thing. Jeff came out here with drumsticks, and he could hear the time from, he said, crank up Michael's vocals painfully so he could hear where the, the groove of the track was. And he made a drumstick, by drumsticks, made his own click track. So he said, let me go out and do this, and then you play to me. So he came out, he did the drum tack, two takes. Wow. I think we punched in one bit. And then I started, then I first thing I did is I got the Marshalls out and I fucking quadrupled the riff, you know, because I heard Ed's on it. I got to make this ride for Eddie, you know. <laughs> so, and then I played the bass part and I did all the, you know, did all that and sent it back to Quincy. He called back, he goes... It's great, but it's too much. You're like the guitars are too much. I got to get this on R and B radio and pop radio. Use that little Fender amp you, you got. Oh, so you had to come and redo. Oh no, I redid the redo. Uh, it was the same day. Oh, okay. I just said okay. So I said, let me do it. I'll only double track it then because it was so. It was like <laughs> it was intense. It was like a metal Michael. You know? <laughs> and um, so it was too much. So I just you know I cranked it down a little bit and did a double track. With, uh, my deluxe old 59 Les Paul, and that was it. And then Quincy goes, Great, come down here and do the rest of the overdubs with Michael and I. And that's when we did the da 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 da. Except they just had da 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 da. I go, It's a little redundant, don't you think? And I suggested the da da da, at least make a longer phrase out of it. Yeah, they like that idea. And uh, the song and was is what it is now. All right. Well, that's awesome. What we want to do is find out the information. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, weird some, to hear other people tell different stories. Like, exactly. Dude, it's not. That's listen to the record. I can hear. Yes. Whatever. We all we all know what it was. Nico, quick fan question. I'll ask you one, and then we can wrap up. Um, I have one here. It says, Nico, I've been told that you're famous for mixing on instinct. Can you discuss that process? And I think they're kind of referring to he the changes his underwear now and then. <laughs> you do? <laughs> you can mix a track oh, in like wow, list two passes, though, right? Don't you do that? It's kind of notorious. Especially if I cut the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right. Just turn it up loud and turn up all your favorite stuff and make everything louder than everything else and fade it. Great. Question answered. Luke, what was the process for creating your signature guitar? What were you looking for that you didn't find in other guitars? Um, I, I was at the time, you know, when I first started out using a lot of vintage gear and stuff like that, you know, a lot of which I still have. And, and then I got involved with Valley Arts Guitars, uh, which is like sort of like Strat, Frankenstrat kind of things, you know what I mean? Then Music Man, they had, then Valley Arts sold to a Korean company and I was no longer interested in being a part of that and their head luthier went over to Music Man and the head of Music Man Sterling Ball is one of my very best friends and his whole family and he said and, and they were making Eddie's first guitar 
Van Halen, the mm. first purple, uh, or I have the third one ever made, but uh, uh, Eddie's first Music Man guitars. And so I was involved in, I was around at that whole time. Matter of fact, I think I was the tiebreaker on the back pickup. Wow. They were up at, uh, I was up at Ed's, I popped up, and, and Sterling Ball and Eddie were up there trying to go, we can't figure out which one is better. This, you, you tell me, which one do you like better, this back pickup or that pick? I said, well, if you ask me, I like that one, but it's your thing, you know? And it turns out they went with the one that, um, Sterling told me they went with the one that I liked. Yeah. In the end, it was Ed's call. But So that's how I got involved, and at that time, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and Sterling goes, give me your favorite guitar, and let me put it on the computer and get all the, I'll even get all the marks where it was worn down and all this. I said, okay, give it a go, see what happens. And they made me this brilliant guitar, and that was like, what? 30 years ago. Wow. It's really a combination of a Paul and a Strat, really. You know, my office used to be over by Studio 3, so a lot of times when the hallway doors were open, I got to listen to what was going on. You know, some was good, some was bad. I remember Dolly Parton Christmas record in July, not so good, you know, over and over. Yeah. Uh, But I remember you're in there with Foster doing completion backwards principle Mm -hmm. with the tubes, and I think they hired you to do talk to you later i wrote the song oh you wrote this with foster and fee yeah yeah i wrote both their big hits yeah she's a beauty and and you were doing the guitar solo on that so i I thought that was awesome but my question is um it was loud i'm sure some it was loud but it was great um Tell me some of the other memorable records you remember doing here that you was really close for you man elton um Jimmy Webb, that was a great record. Oh, man, I, I've already mentioned some of these. Now, yeah. I'm gonna, when I drive out the driveway, I'll think of 40 albums that we did here. I, man, it's like thousands of records. I mean, I, I know, I it's a blur. I know. Do you know, is it over 2,000 records you've played I on? See, something like it's that. I mean, fucking you know, wild. I, when my book came out, they, they found 1,500, and they didn't really look that hard. There's a whole bunch of overs. You know, it's probably about two. Yeah. But I stopped doing session sessions like 25, 30 years ago, man. You know, I mean, occasionally if somebody wow. wants me to do a solo or a friend of mine asks me to do something, I don't charge them. I think whatever, you know, <laughs> give it to charity or don't pay me at all. Buy me a cheeseburger or something. I don't, but I don't do like, uh, I need you from 12 till 6 on this record. I got to do it. I mean, we were like the last of the last great of the studio musicians, men, you know. Who would show up and not know what they were going to do that day? There was no demos, there was no rehearsal, there was no like, what, what are we yeah. doing? Who's the artist? We I mean, sometimes we didn't even know who the artist was. Then, as we got more successful, you know, famous people would ask for us, or producers would say, "You got to use Luke or Jeff or whatever." Yeah, and we'd end up on all the stuff. You know, I, I can't even tell. It's such a it's the greatest times of my life, going from studio to studio. You know, like <laughs> some of the shit we'd get up to, man. Like if somebody. <laughs> Like if we knew somebody, like if we worked from 12 to 6 and we had the night off and we knew somebody had a 7 o'clock, you know, we'd fuck with them and try to make them late. Garbage <laughs> <laughs> guys would be outside trying to get the gear like this. You know. Yeah, we used to do those switchovers. That was crazy. Oh. The 6 to 7, the night from the day to night switchover. Sometimes oh. you just move my shit from one room into the next. Yeah, just... There's always somebody in here 24 hours in the. Yeah, that was when the cartridge business was a cottage industry. Yeah. 
R and R. Those guys were making more money than the yeah. band. <laughs> I bet. Hey man, Jamo's retired with millions in Lake Havasu. <laughs> Jamo, I just yeah, shake I'm my sure head. I paid for a lot of that. Yeah, I'm sure you did indirectly. You know the other thing that people don't talk about that happened in studios that used to. It's still, it's something that bothers me. But um, I would watch someone show up and two things. First. If you saw, because I'd get there for the setup, and you'd see the cartridge cases that were in the hallway, and you'd know what kind of day you were going to have. You know, right. if you I see, saw your cases, did. I wouldn't know who I was, was going like, to with. So I walked down the hallways and wow. saw whose trunks were in the hallway. Luke's on the wow. date or whatever, and you go, "Oh, cool! I got to remember the last time I saw him. I do, you know, I'm going to fuck with him or do this." <laughs> Leland, you know, he's always doing something. But they would show up with maybe a lyric and maybe a melody and something, and. To me, you guys wrote the song. I mean, well, most of the ambiguity groove... to that. They changed the rules. Now, now, if you plug in the drum machine, you get songwriters credit. There were so many hooks that I would watch you specifically do. Like somebody would just say, you know, Luke, just, just play well, on they this. just give you a chart that says G, E minor, right. A minor, D. Play this, play this. And then you'd leave, and they would take those pieces and make the song. And... Um, it just it always has bothered me. That's that's something that's never been credited. And well, they made it, they corrected it now. Now everybody gets a piece, you know. Well, now there's I 26 mean, writers on a Taylor Swift song, but I mean, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if the rules applied the way they are now, from like all the hooky stuff and how rewriting these songs for people that would come in with an acoustic guitar or sit at a piano and sing their song. Before there was demos at home and all the stuff, you know, and then we'd sit there and go, "Okay, how are we gonna?" We have to build a, a record out of this. Enhance this. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. We got everybody starts coming up with parts, and within two takes, we have a we have a, a, a track. We're ready to yeah. go. Sometimes you're lucky and get it really fast and just punch in the mistakes from missing a chord change or something like that. When Jeff was playing, or you know, some of the the great drummers that we've all got a chance to, really, if they had a great take, everything else was fixable. So oftentimes, like, you know, we'd get something great and go, well, yeah, but I missed the bridge. Let me punch in bars. You know, we'd sit there, write down the numbers that are on the thing. I could punch me in from 1650 to, you know, 18, whatever. You know. Great, legendary yeah. studio. People and everybody come. goes, who recorded? And they look at all the gold and platinum records on the wall, that, you know, the, the one one thousandth of the amount that you have of the legendary yeah. records. I mean, Led Zeppelin, Van, you, know, you know, you just go down the line now, you know. All the Grammy Award-winning records, you know, are on the wall. Why wouldn't you want to work where that magic exactly happened? Yeah. It's so untouched too in here, you know. It's like that Van Halen photo shoot here, and all the great mics, and all the great the echo chambers, and all. The biggest staff. thing about it is the headphones. The headphones. People can hear. No, this is this is. Let me tell you, way back in the old mm -hmm. working with Kent, like in '77 and stuff, the best headphone sound I ever heard in my life. Oh, with our little uh, boxes? I don't, I don't yeah. know what the fuck was going on, yeah. but all I know is it sounded like a, a mastered record in my phones. Wow. Yeah. Echoes and the, everybody had it. it was clear, People are playing in, in the record, then they're playing in the record. And this is before the there were later. individual mixes, so like you really counted on whoever was manning it. To send, to, on the to, send. Yeah, on the yeah. send. You know, yeah. because, you know, as the main engineer, 
You're worried about getting the shit on tape. You don't give a fuck about my headphone mix. You know, I was like, I can I get a little more reverb in the phones? It's like, fuck you. I'm working on the snare sound. <laughs> you know? you like, do, though. Don't bug me, that, kid. That's just for you. Your, your stroke. It's not going to make it good or not. Typically, in those days, you had two headphone sends. You had one for the singer and one for the band. And, and the only difference, really, was that there was more vocal for the or, singer. If the drummer wanted to hear the click track, then it click, and that yeah. might be a separate yeah. send. But that could make or break a tracking date. Because if the cats can't hear each other, then it's just you got nothing. The other one, the kid, you know, I've got, you know, here I'm not proud of this, but see, see this, this and tinnitus were caused by yeah wearing headphones on my head for like 14 hours a day, and then uh. the novice singer taking the phones off and putting it around the oh, microphone. Oh. So you get wow, the 10K ten, ten tune, oh, uh, tone at about 400 dB. Oh. You've never seen cats move so fast in your life. <gasps> oh, jeez. Nice. Same look on your face as bending over for the soap <laughs> in the prison shower. <laughs> Except without the eye bleed. Um, oh, my God. No, but, like, you know, it makes a big difference. Somebody having that because you get it great. People get inspired by the sound. They, great things can happen by yeah. inspire the band. It gets on the tape. Everybody's happy, right? And they're also the great engineers. I and mean, when you you'd see, like, oh well, I already know this is going to be great. If you walk in, and you don't know somebody. You're going to go, well, okay, let's see how this goes. Let me, how can I help? Do you consume any? Not me- anymore. No, it's no. been 14 years. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> Any going on 14 years. Modern music coming out? Like, Do I consume it? Yeah, I, mean, I, I got just, four kids. Okay. Um, Some people don't touch it. Nick Lanay, great producer, doesn't listen to anything. Well, it depends out. on what you're, you know, there's a lot of music that I've just become familiar with. I mean, I don't listen to top 40 music. I can't really relate to that yeah, much. Of course. Not that I don't like it. It's just that I don't put myself in a, in a situation where I'm confronted with it. Like a band like Tool, who's been around Love for Tool. 20 years. Yes, Fantastic. Amazing. There's a really interesting band called Periphery. There's got some wacky guitar player stuff, man. These guys, it's not metal, but it appeals to that audience. It's just, you know, high tech shit. Yeah. But cool. Something different. You know, exactly. somebody give me a new twist to it. Because if I hear the same freaking chord changes again, I'm, uh, you know, back 40 years, 45 years ago, they were still using A minor FCG. Nothing's changed. Yes. It's like you got to, you know, as a session player, because we'd have to come up with unique parts for the same chord changes. Sometimes a songwriter would get the same song cut by three different people, Mm -hmm. and we'd be the same band going, all right, this song again. (laughs) What am I going to play this time? You know? But uh, some some became big hits. I was never the guy to pick a hit. If I thought, that's a hit, stiff. If I go, this is job, man, I don't know about this. Multi platinum singer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember when we did uh, "Let's Get Physical" for uh, Olivia, Olivia and John. Yeah. Wasn't here, but it was like right. I remember when I was doing an overdub, do the solo on the record, and I'm with John Farrar, who I love. He hired me when I was a kid. I love. Him. He's such a brilliant songwriter and producer and everything. He played me the track, and I heard like, "Let's get," and I'm like humping the desk. I'm going, <laughs> "Yeah, man, this will be a big one." And he's going, "No, mate, this is going to be a big one." <laughs> Since Steve Kipner wrote is a great songwriter, and I made fun of it. It's a you know huge, massive record. Yeah. I just have to laugh. Beat it when when when, Quint, when I heard the lyrics to beat, it, I went to Quincy. I go, "You're kidding me, right? <laughs> You're kidding me." Huge. Sure enough, number one. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Funny that way. 
I, I was always the guy that would find the twisted version of the lyric that was never meant to be that way until I announced it to the entire the song. Then writer. you can't unsee it. goes like this. <laughs> we were on a record date for Richard Perry in 1977. Uh, who was the cat's name? There was he was a songwriter for he wrote pop songs for everybody. It was me, Jeff, Hongate, and it was all the guys, you know. And this and this guy came in with a song called "But Love Me." <laughs> but love me, you know. But love me. Oh, but love you know, me. But love me. <laughs> but it, all we saw on the on the lead sheet was "But love me," and Hungate went around and put two T's on everybody's chart. And when he sang the the hook of the song, we all stood up in the first take and yelled, "But love me!" <laughs> and we got fired. <laughs> That's pretty good. This is a Perry session. As I remember, it's a hundred years ago, but we got, you know, poor cat, we ruined his life. He never thought it. The the songwriter was like, that never entered his mind. That's crazy. And we ruined his song. (laughs) I can sit here for fucking days and do this with you, man. Oh, God, but love me. Yeah, you're going to get a lot. You'll get a lot of clicks on this. Wow. I don't know what you're going to do with this. Creative editing, perhaps? It's just amazing to be in 2022 and have people like you and Peggy and Nico come in here with Paul, who's the son of the original owner, and it's just, Paul's you know. Always, my neighbor, for God's sake. <laughs> Tell me yeah. a story about Paul in 1987. Ooh. Ooh. Peggy this. said that she'd see him walking in with two girls on each arm and a Porsche. <laughs> and Wow. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. <laughs> but I saw you hanging around. Paul, yeah. oh, what's up, man? I was you hanging. Know, we were just pals, you know. There was, I never saw anything sorted from him. When I started here, though, we did an initial... There were some interesting things that happened in that vocal booth, though. I remember we had we were doing an overdub. You don't want, don't want to use this part. Our tour manager at the time um, brought this girl in, you know, and they and you guys had those uh, those gobos that are made out of styrofoam. The foam ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know where this is going now, right? <laughs> And uh, we're in there, we're in there, lights out, dark, dark in the studio, we're in there, and there's a vocal mic in there, which we happen to just turn up <laughs> and hit the two track. Oh, Peggy told me the story. She was on that yeah. session. Yeah. Yeah. Were <laughs> oh, you guys recording? And, and he was fucking this chick. <laughs> let me put it in your butt. Me, no, no. <laughs> no Who was in, in there? I can't say because it, it was a married person. Oh, um, but was too, no, still is. Oh, oh. This is why I'm Even not better. saying anything. It could be a lot of. Tour, we've had a hundred tour managers. So I wonder if the tapes people. upstairs. Oh, there's a two track somewhere, <sighs> and we had it on full volume oh, on the big speakers, dying. Oh wow. my god! And they came in and we hit play. <laughs> oh really? And played it for him. Perfect. Playback. Uh, <laughs> put it in your butt. Really loud. A hundred, hundred and some odd DB coming out of the big speakers. It was fantastic. Well, good time to end the. What a, a good time to end the interview. <laughs> uh, right, Nico. People want to know why we want to do this job. This, this is, is the greatest job in the world. You're gonna. It is. I mean, come on. Absolutely. But I mean, I, in being serious, I mean, I'm talking about all this insanity. And most of the time, we were working. 
Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, we took the work very seriously, but you know, we Still worked do. hard. We played hard. Still do. Right. Yeah. I don't play hard anymore, man. I'm, now I'm getting replacement. I, I just came from getting. I have to have my knee replaced. Oh no. Me too. You know. Is that from being you know, on stage? No, nah, man. Just a lifetime just old. Putting all my body weight on the right side uh, when I play. It's involuntary. It's like why do I, why do guitar players make stupid phases? We don't do it on purpose. Believe me. <laughs> do you have no cartilage left in your knee? Oh uh, yeah, it's That's pretty bone. It just goes. Point, yeah. right. <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt that bad. It hurt really bad, but I've been home for a little bit now. It's kind of driving is the worst know. thing. It's like you need you need replacement parts now. We're at the age of replacement parts. Mm. Nico. At least they have them. Titanium the is your thing. friend. You walk right out of there, though. It's not that invasive. Yeah, but you know, you walk right out of there, but you got to stay on the. Um, the physical therapy, they have somebody come mm -hmm. to your house and make you do it every day. Otherwise, you're fucked. Yeah. The drag is I'm getting I'm getting it done, and like two days later, my son's getting married. So I'm like, I'm going to be hobbling oh. down the... Wow. It'll be all right. I'm Mr. Bullis, to, dance, you to know? close... Just say, look, I'd like to dance with you, but we're going to do that one next year. How's that? <laughs> we'll celebrate that one on your... Like, if I don't get it done now, I'll be fucked, and I won't be able to get it done for a couple of years. Because you're going on a tour. February, right? I'm gone oh. for... Again. They won't do mine now because they said in ten years I'll need another replacement because apparently you, you're, you're, you're too young. Thirty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm but it's awful, and the driving when I go break gas all the way from well, the beach you know, up here, it's get it done. I know. I would rather just have a nice you know what ten you years. Do now in the, in the, there's a shot they can give you. I've done that cisvesting or something. Yeah, I've yeah. I've got done everything. Well, I, I was so bad I could hardly walk, and I was in Miami, and they sent me to the doctor there, and they did a X-ray, and they said, "Oh, look, bone on bone." He goes, yeah, yeah, you're going to do this, and you're going to have to do this. And he goes, I said, well, how am I going to get rid of How do I, I got another month on the road here. What am I going to do? He goes, well, we have the shot for $1,200. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, give me the shot. It, it lasted two weeks and it came back. Yeah. It was supposed to last months. Yeah. Well, at least it worked a little. It worked a little, but, you know. $1,200 and worse. Nico, could you? To, we'll close this up, but can you share one story? And and Luke, you can as well. Just something you remember about Sunset Sound in your four decades. We Eighty three, I was born. Jeez. So you already had four Grammys for total four. What's the fifth four one now. for? What? We're all five. I you have five Grammys. Best R and B song, and I won one with Larry Carlton nice. on a record we did a long time ago. And then I, the ones that I got with Toto, I got. Uh, Four of those out of the nine. There was some terrible stuff. In, What's know. the name of your book? The Gospel According to Luke. <laughs> You've read it? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I think I give you love in that book. Probably. There's no reason why you wouldn't. It'd be edited, man. Way down from like 900 pages. The three of us, me, both Steve's and me, are like within months of each other, birthdays. I'm surprised Netflix hasn't approached you to do like a documentary or some kind of... Oh, I'm doing I'm in the middle of one right now. Sony oh, really? is doing one on me personally. Fuck, nice. There'll never be a total one because of the... Yeah, well, I was saying on you specifically because... Involved. Yeah, but it's based just on Steve Lukather, the doc. Yeah, they, they Sony came to me because they were interested in the session thing and all that. You know, It wasn't really a total... You can't do a Toto per se. I mean, yeah. Toto's part of my life, part of all of our lives, the guys that were a part of it. But the entity known as Toto won't ever record again as a band. Yeah. And we'll play live because that's... World Tour 23, right? Yeah. 
You know, start, start, gonna, we've been on this one all year. Right. Started in February. We're going to go back out in February. And gotcha. Hit all the rest of the places in the world we haven't been and then start all over. Is it again. domestic or are you going overseas? No, domestic, yeah. yeah. We did both. We did three months with Journey here in the arenas. And we're going to do that again next year and we're doing our own stuff. Going to Japan like we oh, did. nice. Then Europe, we did three, two and a half months in Europe this summer. It was great. Headlining all the festivals and doing our own shows. Is, is Ringo going to get out next yeah, year? Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, we're going to do. Uh, I'm not. I can't say nothing right now. Oh, okay. But well, I hope to see you. <laughs> Might be a date or two. Uh, well, good. Well, I can't tell you how much the studio, the viewers, Paul, myself, everybody, oh, it's an honor, man. to come down here and share these stories because it's just. Are you kidding me? It's this is what it's about. You know, I love, like I said, just being in here makes me feel good. I love that it's the same floor. It's the same, like you. you yeah, it is. You can't change this shit. No, you that's can't. Part you of can't sound. get this. It's asbestos. You can't well, get this well, stuff. Not only that, but man, yeah, it's this asbestos. would affect yeah. the entire sound of the room. Yeah. yeah, it would. Wow, I never thought about that. That's amazing. You yeah. can't change anything. It's super so hard. Sixty-seven. This was put in. Sixty-six. Probably. probably. You can't, Five, you can't 65 change ish. Here. I yeah. mean, you can change the How console old is the ceiling like you did, tiles? but it right. used everything to else be. looks pretty much the same. It is. It's just maybe a little cosmetically different, but it's not the same. Too much. It's the same. It's not nicotine soaked. It used to be nicotine soaked. Yeah, we cleaned it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's remember we used to yeah. say everybody oh, was chain smoke. Oh, the equipment used to just get smeared with that. Yeah. Open up the console and find an eight ball worth of lip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Open up the fader. Well, what we got here? Yeah. The guys used to clean the faders. We can work a few more hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poof. Uh, let's do overdubs. We're good. Let's, get out, let's do overdubs on somebody else's record. You know, you reminded me, um, Van Halen's house mixer was Ladani at the Starwood. And I think at Gazari's. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I've never See, heard look that. at that. What a fucking bizarre. That's before he became in the studio? Before I mean, he went to work for the Sound Factory. Yeah. Wow. He, were, he went to work for Val at the uh, Sound Factory. And then he quit and did Jackson's record. And Dennis Kirk went to work for Val. Whatever happened to Dennis Kirk? Dennis Kirk's big in films. Yeah, he's still he, in films. He I still quit. talked to him once in a while. He got the union card and went to And went to it. do that, yeah. Okay. And then. Good friend. George Ibarra was working with him, and he came yeah. down with hepatitis. And so Val couldn't fire, because Val was going to fire me. But George went to the hospital, and Serge Reyes and Jim Niper both refused to work for Val. So Niper, Passenger hired me. Niper refused to work for yeah, Val? Yeah, no, no. Well, Val was, could be intense. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never worked. I, I worked with him as a player. He was always really nice to me, but you know, I love the records he made. But the sound of the, the only reason I ever but he did survived is because of Val, because he was so hard on me. I refused to quit. It's the best thing that could have happened. Really, well, I remember we were in the, we were working at Record One, and I had bought a red Ferrari, like the Magnum PI car. <laughs> yeah, I was like twenty five years old. And I had this fucking yeah. car, and I and we were working at Record One on a Sunday. Okay. Oh. I parked in Val's spot. Oh. He wasn't supposed All to be there. We're in the middle of a take. We're doing a take. He bursts into the room screaming who parked in my parking spot. <laughs> On a Sunday. I almost went after him, man. He had the uh the cream colored AMG. Yep. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, cream colored Playboy bunny wife he used to have that ran <laughs> off with another chick. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that one. She was looking for more dick. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't use that, any of that. Please don't use it. Okay. <laughs> you guys are music? I forgot you were there. So. <laughs> That's for Oak. He's a runner assistant like an engineer. Asshole, will you? When you cut this thing together, don't use that. Oh, That's I will have played this whole thing for you. Email it. If you get your approval, and it. it's all just about the studio. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, guys. This Anything is... else, Nico? Fuck, I don't remember shit. No. Right. It's great to see you, man. Great to see yeah. you, too, man. Thank great you very much, you guys, gentlemen. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks Thank for you. having us, man. I mean, it's nice to be back here. Reminds me, I got a book of session here sometimes. <laughs> I can get back into the room again. Please. It's recorded sick. music. I don't record much that much anymore. I've been tracking in here yeah. with Resnick. It's been great. David Resnick, you remember him? Yeah. You know David? He yeah. started a little production company and it's been a gas. We do full-on tracking. Everybody oh. all at once. It's so much fun.